You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your number one source for discussions about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Now, get ready for a new episode of Vol Basketball Fever. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of Vol Basketball Fever. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, joined once again, finally back on the show, Gene Henley. Gene, it's good to have you back on the show, buddy. Missed you. I appreciate it, man. Uh, certainly glad to be back. Busy summer, productive summer. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, we were just talking about football coaches uh, before that we started, and I think it's nice to kind of have some level of normalcy back in the world, which means... Uh, football on the weekends and talking basketball here uh, during the week. Yeah, maybe football time in Knoxville uh, because now fall camp has started and you were talking, you now are talking Chattanooga starts to their fall camp on Friday. So maybe football time in Tennessee, but it's always going to be basketball time here on the podcast and all the show. So again, thank you all for tuning in here to Vol Basketball Fever. If you're on YouTube, we'd appreciate it if you like this video and shared it around and subscribe to the channel if you're here as well and you haven't subscribed yet. If you listen to audio only, again, appreciate that too. No matter how you're consuming the show, we're very appreciative of you. Over 400 subscribers now on YouTube, which again, it's not like a, a giant amount, but that's that's significant to me. It's 400 people who have found the show, you know, I guess worthy enough to subscribe to. So thank you all so much for the support. Um, it really means a lot to me. This is someone who's kind of started this for fun and y'all have, uh, give me a lot of good feedback and have, you know, been really loyal supporters of the show for, oh gosh, Gene, we've been doing this for, well, I guess technically with the SEC podcast was, yeah, two years, but we're doing the, the UT one for a little over a, a year now at this point, like I guess a year, about 14, 15 months or so. So, uh, very appreciative of everyone for the support. But Gene, we didn't have, you haven't talked in a while, but there's been, you know, I guess some basketball news. It's not been bad to not, you know, you've been busy because there's not been a whole lot to talk about for the men's side of things for UT basketball. But I, right now, the kind of the hottest topic worth discussing is Tennessee and the recruiting trail. And it's not been because Tennessee's had, at least lately, and lately I mean like the last couple weeks, uh, they haven't been hot on the recruiting trail because they've been hot over the last few years in terms of, you know, historically speaking for Tennessee, you know, looking at who they've landed, you know, guys like Julian Phillips, Kennedy Chandler, those, those aren't players Tennessee was landing, you know, for like, well, five years ago, but especially 10, 15, 20 years ago, that that's not type, the type of guy Tennessee, you know, was able to pick up most of the time uh, in the consecutive classes, especially. But lately uh, it's been a lot of kind of swinging and missing for some Tennessee's top targets in the 23 class, especially you had uh, arguably Tennessee's number one target, um, in the 23 class, Justin Edwards, number three overall player, according to 207, not just not choose Tennessee, Gene, but he chose Kentucky, which, you know, is a gut punch in itself. I remind a lot of people of Cason Wallace from last year's class, the 22 cycle, who uh, Tennessee felt like they had the lead with for a long time. And then Kentucky came in kind of late and they can they can do that. They're a blue blood, came in and really kind of put the pressure on later and uh, picked up Case and Wallace and kind of the same thing with Justin Edwards. Tennessee felt like they were in a really good spot for a long time with Justin Edwards. And then Kentucky was able to bring in a, a late surge and pick him up. Um, when, you know, because Kentucky, for one, can do that. But now also with NIL, I mean, Kentucky's got a lot of NIL money for basketball. Uh, Mark Stoops, maybe not in football. Uh, he's made some comments about that the last few uh, weeks. But uh, John Calipari is not having any issues with NIL money for basketball. Uh, and then also the other player who just committed 
I guess a couple of days ago, now that we're recording this on a Tuesday night, Aiden Holloway, point guard in the uh, 23 class who Tennessee is really targeting, one of their top uh, prospects in the 23 cycle they were targeting, committed to Auburn, which again, that one was one that we were asked about, I think maybe maybe last episode we did, Gene, possibly, or at least, at least the last mailbag episode we, we did. Um, and I said it even then, it felt like it was trending towards Auburn. So that one was a little bit more of a, it's felt that way for a while that it was going to be Auburn. But Justin Edwards was more of a, you know, I'd say kind of a gut punch because it felt like Tennessee had really good momentum and it was in a very good spot there for a long time. And then Kentucky sweeps in and gets them. Right now you have uh, Cade Phillips committed to you in the 23 class, which we talked about when he committed. Um, I, I like him as a player. I think he's got a, a, a pretty high ceiling, 6'9", 200, play, 200 pounds, and top 100 player in the class uh, out of Branson, Missouri. He plays for Link, Link Academy over there, so he's not actually from Branson, Missouri, I don't think, but he plays for Link, Link Academy. Um, but there was an interesting piece. At, we'll try to go back and actually find the quote, the actual writing on it, but on Tony Basilio's blog, which I know some people aren't, the biggest Tony Basilio fan, but I, I do think his basketball insights sometimes are interesting and worth mentioning. He had an interesting point on there talking about uh, Rod Clark, one of Tennessee's assistant coaches uh, under Rick Barnes, being kind of the guy that's been swimming in these deeper waters for Tennessee and you know going head-to-head with the Kentuckys, with the Dukes, for some of these prospects that Tennessee has kind of swung and missed on over the last few years. And I you know, saw different discussions online about being kind of frustrated with it and you know saying that, you know, well, if Rod Clark is, you know, if he's swinging and missing all these times, you know, maybe he needs to reevaluate or do that, or maybe he needs to be let go, all this different stuff, just different conversation, kind of frustration and venting. And I get it, you know, fans vent, they have strong emotions, so they're called fanatics for a reason. But I also think, Gene, that while I, I get the frustration, I understand where some of the fans are coming from, from that. I also think it's worth note, like worth kind of taking a step back and reevaluating and looking at the men's basketball program in general and, 10 years ago, if Tennessee had been second place to Kentucky and Duke for a prospect, I would have thought, wow, that's pretty impressive. Now it's kind of like you're expecting more, but at the same time, still like it, I think that even still is a step forward for Tennessee uh, basketball, on the men's side at least, that you're actually really legit, like not just kind of a, a pity hat on the table like sometimes we saw under, you know, well, name your head coach for Tennessee football, <laughs> where you'd see the hat on the table, but you, you weren't going to get picked. Tennessee really has had more than just a hat on the table for a lot of these guys who've been, you know, picking these other blue blood programs over the Vols recently. I, I just kind of wanted to talk with you about it because you and I, have, I feel like I've had some really fruitful discussions about recruiting in the past, especially with Tennessee going head to head with schools like Kentucky. I just, I'm not, I'm not really like ready to definitely ready to hit the panic button, but I'm not even like super, super concerned. Justin Edwards would have been a, a massive, you know, get for Tennessee that that would have been I mean number three player in the country he would have been the highest rated prospect Tennessee's ever gotten in the modern recruiting era um but just because you missed out on him doesn't mean you know this class is going to be a disaster you still got guys like JP Estrella who is a high four-star borderline top 50 prospect a 6'11 210 center who would be a very talented big man offensively especially for Tennessee you have a guy like uh, Silas Demary Jr. who is a, a combo guard I think probably more of a point guard type of guy who is a almost a borderline top 100 player freddie de leon if i'm saying his name correctly also a, a combo guard point guard who is a top 100 player who tennessee is in on and i think is in a decent spot with him right now you have an in-state pl- a prospect who's kind of moving up recruiting boards and jared hall who's a 6'8 190 forward also in the class you've got guys too like owen carr who's a 
built similarly to Justin Edwards at 6'7", uh, in Gre- over in Greenville, South Carolina. So just because you've missed out on these guys, to me, like again, doesn't mean the class is going to be bad. It's just, yes, it's frustrating to see Tennessee swing and miss as a, as a fan on these highly rated prospects, but also, like, if you go and snag a, a you know three or four top 100 kind of borderline top 50 prospects, Gene, a lot of times those guys are the guys that stick around for more than one season. And I've also seen a lot of complaints about the one undones not being great for Tennessee. So I don't know, like maybe, maybe you do want to kind of readjust and go after more of those top 100, top 75 guys, and maybe not as many of the top 25, top 30 guys, because the other guys are the ones that are more than likely the ones that stick around for two or three years. And that helps you have a lot more sustainability of a program, especially nowadays when so many transfers are stuff are happening year in and year out too. Right. And, and, you know, this is funny because this is a conversation that was had about a year ago. And, um, and I just, I, I posed the question, what is Tennessee's in-game and recruiting? Um, are you simply going to go after these kids who are likely one and done types? Or like, who, who, who do you want to benefit more? You want to benefit the feel good of winning a recruiting battle? Or the not so feel good if you win that recruiting battle and that kid leaves eight months later. I don't know. Um, I mean, fans would know far better than I do there. Uh, said it like Tennessee built this, uh, built their reputation off of the Grant Williams and Admiral Schofields and Jordan Bones and Fulkerson's and all those guys in the world, guys who have stayed for multiple years. The vast majority of those guys that you're, I mean, uh, that you're going after now aren't going to stay uh, longer than maybe a year or two. Um, you'll occasionally get a five-star sort of player that will hang around, see Josiah. Um, and But, you know, like if you want to get the flashy sort of types, um, what's his name, Phillips? Because they're just yeah. they're now freshmen. Mm-hmm. Get Phillips, flashy, yeah. Right. If you want to get those sorts of players, um, I just don't know how long you're going to be able to keep those players. Maybe 11 months, maybe a year. Uh, if they commit in April of 2022, uh, are they still there in April of 2023? And, uh, look, I mean, I get it. Like, you know, some of these recruiting battles, you want to win them all. Uh, you want to compete in, in all of them and, uh, to, you know, if you finish second in it, like, it, is it, I don't think it makes anybody feel any better to finish second. Um, in anything in life, um, it, it probably stinks to lose out to Kentucky, but I think that Kentucky has a, a, a much, much longer track record of sending players of that kid's caliber directly to the league after a year, whereas Tennessee has never done that with a 6'8 wing, ever. Uh, no, Tobias, Tobias, I'm sorry. Has done it one time in the past, what, in its history, probably. Uh, sent a legitimately, uh, a legit professional wing, uh, to the league after one year. And that's what you're, that's what you're fighting against. Uh, maybe, you know, if Julian Phillips goes and has success this year and parlays that into a lottery selection, then you would have two and you would have your last one. So that would help you in 2024 and beyond. But like, yeah, it, it stinks. Um, you want to be able to get in the game of all these guys and, it feels good to be in the game. You love the rush of being in the game. You love the rush of seeing that a kid has visited. But I, I 
personally kind of think that Tennessee is going to be best served as a program that will occasionally get the legitimately great prospects and what will more than likely, you know, settle with a bunch of guys. I don't want to say settle. That sounds bad, but we'll mostly end up with a bunch of guys who are in the 20s, 20 to 50 range. And let's be clear, there's nothing wrong with that. I I mean, was what was Phillips? Was Phillips top 10 in the country? Uh, he was around that 14, 15 mark on, on most, most recruiting sites. Right. And like you're, have they, has Tennessee ever gotten a top 10 recruit? Uh, I Tobias I'm, Harris, I think, is the only one, at least according okay. to like the 247. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm guessing Vincent was floating around. I think he finished around 15 or 16, but I know at one point he was top 10. So not a ton of success of getting top mm-hmm. 10. Yeah, let's see. I'll look it up while you're... Actually, I've, I've got to put it up right here. Uh, Tobias, uh, again, this is 2 or 7 I don't have rivals in front of me, but Tobias was number 6 overall. Uh, Scotty Hobson was number 7 overall in the country. Uh, and then on the 2 or 7 composite, Kennedy Chandler ended up number 9. So those are your only ones that Tennessee gather top 10 on, on 2 or 7. I don't think they have... I think Vincent was basically kind of right before 2 or yeah, 7 was, really started that was doing 90, it. That was class 98. That was yeah. before 7 became a thing but um yeah like you know the question is how are you going to consistently get in because it's not like this is a it's not like this is a club that is exclusive to only the five star has a wide range of meanings what is it top 30 prospects yeah essentially yeah so five you know so you're in the five star game but there's five stars and then there's you know five stars um, you can be Josiah or you can be Kate Cunningham. Look, I get it. I get it. You you love Josiah and Tennessee fans should love Josiah. He's a really good player. But there was not a person in the country that watched Kate Cunningham play basketball. I'm just throwing a name out. Not, Tennessee was never in that game either. They got his, they got his brother. That was a done deal. Um, but that was a kid that the second he got there, you're like, okay, we're going to enjoy these eight months. There's Josiah and then there's Kennedy Chandler. Let's just go that route. Like, there's levels to the quote-unquote five-starter. And, like, for me personally, um, I, I found it interesting a while back. I, actually, not a while back. It was like I saw the quote over the weekend. It was D'Angelo Russell um, that made the comment that basketball players are more athletes than, like, pure basketball. And you see that in recruiting rankings. And I mean, as a person who has watched a lot of AAU, bad AAU basketball for the past four months, um, it is a lot about athleticism. And like the thing that I think I appreciate the most about a kid named like Josiah is the fact that he is a legitimately great basketball player. He is a good athlete but he is a legitimately great basketball player that has no flaws in his game. Now, that's not going to necessarily get you drafted, you know, top six, top seven, whatever. Um, but that's the sort of player that will have a long career, whatever he does. But look, at you know, at the highest levels, when we look at these recruiting rankings and stuff, a lot of it's based off of just how how flashy you are, like how athletic are you, not necessarily how good of a basketball player you are, because everybody's like, well, we can just – develop the basketball player and always do that, especially when you're going to have kids for eight months. 
Um, I think Tennessee's in a good spot. I've kind of had it, you know, while you were talking, I was looking down and, you know, reading some of the people they had kind of gone after. I think I've seen a few of these players. I've heard, I've certainly heard, I think the Estrella was the name that I've heard of. I may have mm-hmm. seen him somewhere. Um, like they're going after really good basketball players. I don't care about the ranking or anything like that. Like, you know, the couple that, of those guys I've seen, those are really good basketball players. And as long as you're going to consistently get those four and five, those four star prospects and you occasionally get yourself one or two or maybe have three five star prospects on a roster uh, on any given season with a bunch of fours, you're going to give yourself a chance to compete into the second and third weekend of the NCAA tournament, which is what I've always gathered this is all about. Not winning a, not winning a battle on August 2nd, August 1st, end of July. That has nothing to do ultimately with the season. Because last time I checked, it ain't like Kentucky's out here killing it from November to March either. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, you don't get trophies and hang banners for, you know, winning recruiting battles and winning, you know, winning things in June, July, August, September for basketball. Because that's, you know, those aren't, those aren't as important months for basketball as they are for football, for example. Um, you get, trophies and hang banners for things you do in March and April. And like I said, Tennessee and Kentucky, either one have done a whole lot of that right lately. At least Tennessee was able to hang a, you know, get a trophy and, you know, add to their banner for the SEC tournament title. They got this past year. Kentucky couldn't do that. Auburn, I guess they won the regular season title, but you get my point. Like at least Tennessee had that this past season, which to me makes it one of the more successful seasons Tennessee's had recently. You know, you, you don't, you technically can hang a banner or add a, a year to the sweet 16 you know, banner you have hanging in, you know, for the last, what, 2019 when Tennessee last went. But I don't know, like, it, I, I think your point is well made there. I, it's not always about landing a bunch of top 10, top 15, top 20 guys. I mean, you look at, I know it was COVID. Um, and I still think that played a large role in it. But look at last time Tennessee had two one and done guys on the roster. Uh, it wasn't a spectacular season. It wasn't the worst season Tennessee's ever had, but it wasn't, I think, didn't live up to expectations. And again, you know, I do think COVID played a, a pretty large role in that. And it's hard to say it didn't based off of, you know, just the chemistry and, and not being able to practice and having so much new on that team too. But you look at this year's team right now, Gene, and, and it's built off of a lot of guys who have been in the system for two, three, four years. Josiah, he's entering his fourth year. Uh, Vescovy is entering his fourth year. You have a, a guy like Kai Ziegler who's entering his second year, but a guy who's already a fan favorite because I think they – they feel pretty, you know, fans feel pretty confident that Ziegler is not going to be, you know, he's not bolting after this year. He doesn't have the elite measurables of a guy that's going to be able to make it in, you know, the NBA. So he's probably here for four years and it's going to be a four years that I think Vol fans are just going to love of Ziegler. Uh, but those are kind of your, your mainstays. And you have Cam Wall, who's also, again, been here. This will be his fourth year. Urosh, this will be his fourth year also, at least his third. I think it's his fourth. Um, but those are your, your main guys. Yeah. Those are your main guys, and you can you can throw in you know um, a Jonas Adu in there, but he's you know, and I think he will battle for the starting spot. Um, but you're not really, I mean, aside from a, a Tyree Key and Julian Phillips, you're not this year. You're not asking a whole lot of newcomers to do a whole lot. Last year, you weren't again. You weren't really asking too many newcomers to do a whole lot. You obviously had Kennedy Chandler be your everyday point guard and play a ton of minutes, and you did you did end up relying on Sakai Ziegler to be um, a big piece of your, your team as the season went on. But even then, you still, that season, you had, again, Vescovine James, who'd been there for a couple years. 
uh, Fulkerson, who'd been there for a million years, uh, Kamwa, who was in his third year, Orochi was in his third year, uh, Justin Powell, I guess, who was a transfer in, but Victor Bailey, who'd been there for three years at that point, too. So, I mean, you, you even last year was a more veteran-laden team that had some really good, talented young guys in there, especially with Kennedy Chandler playing. I think this year is going to be, again, kind of more the same. That's why I'm not expecting as massive of a drop-off this year because you have Julian Phillips as your your main kind of newcomer you're expecting, you know, to do things. And then you have Tyreek Key, who's already already apparently gotten some, you know, praise and stuff from coaches um, and, and practice and stuff. Kind of like what Zakai Zier was last year, you know, not to the same degree because Key's been in college for years at this point. But he's already, I think, garnering a lot of praise from Tennessee's coaches in, you know, internally from just different rumblings that I've seen posted online from, you know, people who are connected with the basketball program. So you're, again, not relying on a whole lot of new to come in and have to be big time contributors. You're going to, the, the biggest spot, obviously the biggest question mark to me is point guard. Can Ziegler be the main guy the whole season? Can BJ Edwards be a, a confident backup um, out there for him? And that does Tennessee, do they go out and get, you know, another guy, to, whether it's a reclass or another transfer or whatever. But all of that to kind of get to my point, uh, which is what I, I had said it, you kind of built off of it there is that you don't, you know, it's nice to win those recruiting battles. And again, if Justin Edwards comes to Tennessee, that would be huge. I'm not trying to downplay it at all that that was a swing and a miss by Tennessee, but it wasn't because wasn't for lack of trying. It wasn't because the, the NIL wasn't, you know, in, in line for Tennessee. It wasn't because Tennessee did something wrong is because they lost out to Kentucky. Who's one of the top five, top three, I would say probably men's basketball programs in college basketball history. I mean, it's them, Duke, and North Carolina, and Kansas are kind of the, the four main ones you probably automatically think of. You know, at least, I guess, historically, really historically, you, you'd have to say UCLA also, but they haven't you know, done as much in the last 20, 30 years. But again, Kentucky's top five all time in, in prestige for men's basketball. Tennessee, not even close to that. There may, may be, I don't even say they're second in the SEC, um, because I would throw in... You get there in Arkansas, who's won, you know, had, had that big run in the 90s they had, especially. Uh, of course, they've been pretty good lately, too. So, and Florida had their run in the 2000s. So, I mean, I don't know that you could even say Tennessee historically is number two in the SEC, period. So, you can make a case for it. But I just, I, I think that if Justin Edwards comes to Tennessee, it'd be huge. Like, I'm not trying to downplay that at all. I just think that you're just because you missed out on these guys and have missed out on a case in Wallace and missed out on Aiden Holloway missed out on a Palo Bancaro, for example, that, that, I mean, that year with Kennedy Chandler could have been monstrous from a recruiting hall of Tennessee. You know, they got Kennedy. They also could have gotten Jabari Smith. They could have gotten Palo. Like those are guys that Tennessee was recruiting uh, pretty hard. And they felt really good about where they were with Palo for a while until, you know, he ended up going to Duke. But, um, Again, you, you mentioned it, Gene. I don't care what the rankings say. A guy like J.P. Estrella may not be a five-star right now, but he is a very talented player. He, he's a guy that Duke, he was interested in Duke, and then they took another big man who was, I think, a top 10 player in the country, and he said, no, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to be pursuing them anymore. Now it looks like it's uh, Iowa and, wow, Syracuse. So the other two schools that are really, I think, heavily involved with him along with Tennessee. Um, a guy, Cohen Carr is a very talented player. Uh, again, the, the other two, Salas Demery Jr. and and Freddie DeLeon are also really talented players. You, you get those guys in the top kind of 100 area. Those are still some very good players. I mean, I'm looking at, again, some of Tennessee's recent haul, or not really recent, just looking at 247, their, you know, their all-time rankings for Tennessee. Chris Lofton, funny enough, uh, that's 
about kind of around where uh, <laughs> I guess the recruiting rankings really started. He was a four star. He was a top 150 overall player. I would say that you know he outlived his or outperformed his uh, his ranking. But a guy like Trey Golden was a top 100 prospect to Tennessee land. Uh, you know that I think he was a very good player for Tennessee while he was here. Uh, you look at a guy like. Um, well, Wayne Chisholm, for example, he's a top 50 prospect. I think, again, he wasn't a five-star, but he was a top 50 player, at least on two or seven. That's 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 kind of, the to me, a pinnacle of, if you're in that range, I know Jarnell Stokes was a five-star by some, uh, I think by rivals, but he wasn't on two or seven. He was a, the number 41 player in the class on two or seven. The guys like the Wayne Chisholms, the Jarnell Stokes, the Jordan McCrae's who I'm looking at, who I, I know, I think Jordan and Jarnell both were five-stars by, by at least one service. But those are all guys that, you know, they weren't one and done players. They were guys who were here for three, sometimes four years. And we remember them because not only were they here for three or four years, but they were pretty darn good when they were here uh, for the three or four years and are scattered all over Tennessee's record books for points and rebounds. And in Jarnell's case for double doubles and uh, the things he did on the court were, was pretty impressive under um, Conzo Martin there. But I think Tennessee has a roster that, Right now, I'm interested. I think I don't think I had this conversation with Eugene. I think it was with one of the guests that was on um, while you were traveling and stuff. But kind of looking ahead, I think this plays off into your conversation about kind of what's the plan for Tennessee moving forward. I said that I think it was to one of the guests, Jack Foster, maybe um, was who I said it to. I am a little concerned about beyond this year. What you know, what happens? the following season. I don't want to get too caught up in it because that's looking ahead, but I want to get through this upcoming season first and see what, you know, this upcoming season has for Tennessee. But the following year, like you're losing Josiah. I mean, assuming I don't imagine they'll come back, but you're losing Josiah. You're losing Vescovy after this upcoming season. Probably Camwall. Like, I don't know that he'll stick around for another. Maybe he sticks around that. Maybe he tries to go overseas or something, but you're at least losing Vescovy and James, in my opinion. Um, I think Urosh will stick around, but then, I mean, you're losing a, a, some key, key contributors. Julian Phillips, I think is gone. Tyree key obviously is gone. He's only got one year of eligibility left, but you're going to be replacing a lot of players, uh, a lot of guys who are going to be key contributors and, and starters and logging a lot of minutes for you this year, the following year. And you don't have a whole lot right now, like, you know, lined up to replace them, that you know of again this season could you know you could reveal a guy like a Jonas Aid who's ready to take the next step you know the following year too maybe a guy like Jemai May Shack takes the next step or DJ Jefferson comes in and surprises or, or whatever like you have guys that on the roster we just don't they're question marks but they could you know step up and prove themselves this year but all of my point to that is I'm wanting to enjoy the ride this year but Gene I, I that does you know I do have concerns about if Tennessee you know what what they do in this 23 cycle, whether it's with high school kids or transfers or whatever, this 23 cycle is extremely important for Tennessee uh, and the future of the program because you're going to have to be replacing a lot of production after this 22-23 season and the 23 cycle. I think we've said before in the podcast uh, on the show, uh, I kind of talked about how important the 23 cycle is for Tennessee, but it's... It might might be the most important cycle for Rick Barnes just because you know I don't imagine he's going to be here after his contract runs out or, or after another you know four years or so. But it's important not just for him but kind of the future of the program if if they can sustain having success and if sustain being stable and being a a consistent top four team in the SEC, you've got to hit on the twenty three class. You've got to bring in guys again whether it's recruiting or transfer portal who are going to be you know 
program staples for the next two or three years. In my opinion, I don't. You can't to me. It's not a blessing in disguise because Justin Edwards, it's a guy you want to get. That's a guy that you know is a a potential just all SEC freshman, even potential freshman of the year SEC player type of guy. So it's not a blessing in disguise they missed out on him, but maybe it's a blessing in disguise that they haven't had as much traction with some of the other kind of top 15, 20 prospects that they targeted in this 23 cycle because maybe it's made them kind of readjust or maybe in the previous cycles, like again with Cason Wallace and Powell Bencaro and those guys that they missed on, they think maybe, you know, we should target some other guys that are still extremely talented players, but that are going to be here for longer and have some more stability. But then again, who knows, maybe those guys transfer out because the one-year transfer rule is, you know, here to stay. And then heck, we may be even getting one where, you can transfer every year, Gene. Like that, I'm all for the one-time transfer rule. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'm all for the. You can transfer as many times as you want to for free. That that one I'm a little iffy on, but I kind of just rambled. So uh, feel free to ramble too if you want to. I don't, I don't know what point you want to uh, take off that one. So let me start with the last one. Um, I was thinking while you were talking, um, I posed the question to you. Tennessee has Josiah and Vescovy as like program staples. Name another high level program in the country that has like program staple players. Like let's look. Uh, national champion was Kansas. Um, I guess you could say they had, uh, they did. Um, North Carolina, they've got the big man that's back. Um, Duke doesn't exist. Kentucky, yeah, like, uh, Gonzaga has a good one to point to for that Gonzaga type of thing. Gonzaga doesn't really – well, they've got Timmy. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, Timmy will be back. Um, but if you look at the high-level programs in the country, a vast majority of them, very few of them actually have staples. And I think that that, you know – that may be a thing of the past, which is why we have the conversation about what's the end game of um, what is Tennessee trying to accomplish over these next few seasons? Because it doesn't look like, it, it doesn't look as though there, that person exists. I mean, it's nice to have a, a kid for a few years, but, um, you know, and Ziegler would be a nice story and he'll be probably the last remaining vestige of, um, you know, of a, a kid who, a, a productive player who hangs around. Um, and and like I said, if it, it's really, this is where Barnes is a victim of his own circumstances. Because if he doesn't get Grant, he does. if he doesn't get that group of guys, then nobody cares. Right. But, you know, but like he, you, when you build a reputation of being a, a program developer, because you've got all these guys that come in and do things this certain way. Now all of a sudden you're not doing it that way, but yet everybody gets still harping, harping on, well, why don't you come to Tennessee? You know, Rick Barnes is the greatest talent. Of, well, these kids are leaving after years. They don't care about that. They want to get the most high profile games they can get. They want to go to a place that has a history of sending guys to the pros. Very few do it better than Kentucky and Duke right now. Uh, and, and you could you could actually make an argument against Zadis up there because of you know Chet Holmgren, um, Jalen Suggs, you know guys like that, um, like pros, like legitimate pros. Like you may have a program that does it for a year or whatever, and 
you know, like, but that doesn't necessarily exist that much. The feel good that is college basketball um, isn't quite as feel good as it once was. And it's interesting. I think I said this before, but I had a conversation with a college coach um, recently that was telling me uh, this was this actually was like Memorial Day, where it was like, don't be surprised if um, you know here in a few years, like the Power Five leagues just break off and there is no there is no more NCAA tournament. Yep. And then it's so it's so it was interesting. I think about a month about a month ago. I saw guys like Jeff Goodman and Gary Parrish, you know, like don't, you know, this, these discussions are being had um, and that would stink. But like college basketball is not what it was 10 years ago. College basketball would love nothing more than to hate Christian Lakeman or Grant Hill or, you know, JJ Redick or just name, you know, Woj, just name a Duke player from the 90s or 2000s. They just wish uh, that they had somebody that they could hate in college basketball. Doesn't exist. You know, the only reason they hate somebody now is because they hung around too bad. So now they, you know, they, they hung around too long. So now they find reasons to poke holes in their game so the kid stinks and he's yeah. not actually a good player. And, and so, like, yeah, college basketball would just, that was probably the best part of the whole Grant Williams Admiral Schofield experience is that. Teams had people to hate. You know, when Tennessee goes on the floor, on the road and beats um, Florida, and all the guys are doing the the Gator shop to the student section, like you know, like you're around long enough for people to hate you because somebody's going to hate you in eight months. You know, I, I just always I laugh when you know all these kids are, you know, like repping you know these schools and they talk about the robberies and I'm like, my man, you were there for eight months. You're there for eight months. How can you sit here and talk about it when it matters? Like, like when I when I hear you know Jalen Rose tell stories about, about his time at Michigan, I'm like, yeah, he was there for three years. And last time I checked, it, the, he wasn't exactly a saint during his time there. None of those guys were. But yeah. you know what? They've got memories. They've got stories. They became legendary without winning a championship. They won nothing of relevance. They won nothing of note. Maybe they won a Big Ten while they were there. I don't know. But they did they won nothing of consequence and everybody remembers them. Everybody hates them. Now we've now we're at a point where we're just gonna go play the games. Like the mid major leagues, that you'll have players that, you know, to hate. But the problem is those kids, they get good, they're there for a year or two, and then they just get bumped up to Whatever, like UTC's best player goes to Gonzaga. Um, you know, you get kids who spend a year or two at a, a lower, a higher level school. It doesn't work out. They go down. You know, like, so you, you've got kids that have, and look, I'm not complaining at all. Let's be clear. Excuse me. I'm just actually speaking on kind of the state of college basketball now. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, like it, it, it does lead to trying to, you know, like the baseball term, which you can't tell the players without a scorecard. Well, year to year, you can't tell the basketball teams without a roster. And, you know, I need all the game notes. I need the media guy. I need the game day program. You need it all because it could change. And um, so it makes it tough. But, again, I just think, you know, when you look at what's going on, 
Like that's why it doesn't really matter if you you maybe you'll win out on a kid, maybe you don't win out on a kid. If they're if the, the sort of kids that Tennessee's going after in the summer, they typically don't get. Like they don't get. I mean, you get Kennedy Chandler, yeah. You you've got you got the Johnson and Springer kids who had who had nice seasons, but let's, let's they weren't. Like they're like they're in their like they're gonna get their chance in the league. I, I think mm-hmm. they're too talented to not. But it's not like they took college basketball by storm. Like like you saw those three kids from Duke a few years ago, Zion, Cam Barrett. I'm sorry, Cam Reddish and RJ Barrett. That's kind of taking college basketball by storm. Um, you know, I feel like I think Kentucky did much last year. I don't remember to be honest with you. I, I don't. Um, but like when you see these kids that immediately come in and make an impact, like national, not just around the league and stuff like that. And I don't know how that changes because, you know, like it's going to take a few years, like in a normal world, you know, you were talking about Josiah and Vescovy and what happens maybe with the roster after this season those kids wouldn't have an option in a normal world because they'd all be gone after this season. Now, because of the COVID year, they've got an extra year back that maybe that helps some of these kids, but you know, they spend three years at school a, and then with the COVID year, they transfer to another school. Um, you know, maybe that, you know, maybe school a doesn't have a graduate program or whatever, but some, there's reasons I'm not, again, I'm just, I'm just kind of stating the facts. Like, you know, not everybody has the opportunity to be hated for four or five years. And most of these kids are leaving after a year or two. Um, and look, we've allowed it. We've, you know, we wanted to give the kids the freedom. And again, I'm all about, there's nothing I care more about than choice, the choice to make their own decisions. There's nothing I care about more in life. And that's in all things, all facets. Um, having the freedom to make, you know, make a decision. Maybe that decision is wrong, but we've given kids, we've given the players the license to leave after a year. Um, maybe go down or be great for a year and work your way up or then, you know, go pro or whatever. And as a result, like college basketball is essentially a mess because we just don't know, um, where kids are going to be year to year. Um, you look at the recruiting and it's tough on these kids. Like if you're the best of the best, like the, Tennessee's not going after the kids right now who, are probably Tennessee level players, but um, Tennessee's not quite ready to make that jump yet. I mean, they're going to go after the one and done types, the top fifty types, um, and then once the dust is settled and all these, this the first wave has made their decision, they'll have their second wave. And I think that's where Tennessee will cash in with a bunch of really great prospects because they've been too good of a program um, the last two seasons, if I recall. They've basically done all their recruiting from the time the season ended until the time the next season began. Feels like it, yeah. <laughs> like how many kids you take out Kennedy Chandler, um BJ Edwards, those those are guys that committed early. Mayshack. Yep. But you're right. I mean, the vast majority of the last two two, three cycles have been guys that are in like the the spring signing, not the fall signing kind of period. Yeah. I mean, if you if you want to go back to Keon and Springer, um and guys like that, but like it's it's Adu, it's um, it's Huntley Hatfield, it's 
all these kids. It's I mean, because they just got Phillips. It's Phillips. Yeah. Julian Phillips, not Cade Phillips. I think that's yeah. his name. You look, you mean, look at this class and look, and you just mentioned you get Julian Phillips, you got Tomei Iwaka, uh, DJ Jefferson. Like those are all, uh, well, really everybody in this class except for uh, uh, BJ Edwards were all guys that are added, I think, after the season was over for Tennessee. Like after they had finished playing the last game of the NCAA tournament, Tennessee added everyone else except BJ Edwards in, in this class. Yeah, I, I would say just wait and parse through Bobby Mason's roster, but I've seen that team. They were not very good this year, aside from Blue. And again, I'm not saying to be funny. Like, they typically, if you look, mm-hmm. um, Tomba, Huntley Hatfield, guys like that were all kids who reclassified. Mm-hmm. Uh, and look, Bobby's 2024 group was really talented. His 2023 was not yet Blue Kane and a bunch of kids who were playing up at least one grade. Uh, so I don't see much in terms of reclassification there. Um, you know, and obviously Blue's going to Georgia Tech, you know, you know, best of luck to him. But I mean, yeah, you look and it's just like, you know, like you don't know where it's necessarily going to come from, but 80%, you know, 75% of the recruiting for Tennessee um, happened from the time the season ended until the time the next season began. And so, like you're at a point now where it's like, yeah, you swing and miss a little bit early. But the last time I checked, Tennessee went further than Kentucky last year. who got a lot of their prospects early as opposed to Tennessee, who got all of their prospects late. You said something when we were talking earlier that I wanted to build off of. So I've been just kind of thinking about it for a while, uh, talking about, you know, looking at programs who have the, you know, the the staples of the program and kind of names that have been there for a while. We both obviously mentioned Gonzaga and also, you know, mentioning, but I didn't mention at the time, uh, Villanova is another one that comes up with, you know, this past year, look at a guy like Con Gillespie and Justin Moore who were there for several years um, for Nova. I've, I've often thought for a year, especially with, you know, when, when Tennessee had the success with Grant Williams and Admiral and, and that group, am I, it's, I mean, it's easier said than done, but am I off base in saying that I, I think Tennessee would have more success trying to build like a Gonzaga and Villanova not doesn't have to be the exact roster construction they do, but doing more like that where they don't, they have the occasional, like Chad Holgram, for example, they have guys who are one and done, but they're not, you know, you're not doing it like a Kentucky, a Duke, a UNC, a Kansas, who every single year has one, maybe two, maybe three one and done type guys and, and you know two or three first round draft picks every almost every year i think tennessee is to me better served because of their history and because of the guys the teams they go up against year in year out for recruiting here in the south especially i think it's they're better off trying to build more like that and, and again easier said than done it's easier easier to say let's build like villanova and gonzaga than to actually go do it but i think if anyone can anyone has the ability to do that as Rick Barnes. I think, again, it, it showed itself the most with that Grant Admiral, Jordan Bone, Kyle Alexander group. Um, and I think, again, here you can point to Vescovy and Josiah as guys that are, benefit, you know, I guess, uh, beneficiaries of that type of thinking too. I just think, I think Tennessee just isn't a better spot or is more equipped to build that way than try to build, as you said, like trying to go after those same guys like Kentucky and UNC and Duke want and, it's fine to go after a few of them, and Tennessee's you know had you know, again they they got Kenny Chandler. Uh, that was a guy that you know Duke wanted, for example, Memphis wanted, uh, some really high profile programs wanted. Tennessee got them. Uh, they got Keon and Jaden, but I still think that your bread and butter for Tennessee is built on the guys like Wayne Chisholm, the guys like um, 
Grant Williams. Those are guys that, well, Grant wasn't really a highly tab. Wayne Chisholm was again, he wasn't a, a, a slouch in the recruiting. Like people thought he was a highly rated prospect, but he wasn't a one and done. He was never thought of as a, a one and done type of guy. So I think Tennessee's better off in those recruiting waters that way anyway. And that's not just me saying it because Tennessee's missed out on some of these guys. I've just, I've, I've always thought that. I don't know if I've ever said it on the show, but I know I said it when I worked at RTI that I thought Tennessee's better off trying to build that way. Again, I know that's, you can say it doesn't mean it's easy to do, but I, I just think where Tennessee is gene and kind of the program they are, it's easier for them to build that way than it is to try to go land it because they, again, you don't, you, like you said, they don't have the track record to point to a bunch of NBA guys every single year. You've got some guys, you're, you're getting more now and that's great. And that's, that is definitely elevating the uh, profile of your basketball program. But Tennessee has a lot of, I mean, you can't just erase what happened in the nineties, what happened in the early two thousands like that, that, you know, obviously these kids don't know that, but you still like, even though past 10, 15 years of Tennessee, when these kids have been alive and paying attention, it's not anywhere close to the same prestige as what a Kentucky, a Duke, a North Carolina, heck even a, again, like a Florida or an Auburn has even done in the last 10, you know, five, 10, 15 years. So I, I, I don't know. I, I just think to me, it's always made more sense for Tennessee to kind of recruit and do more like what the Villanovas and Gonzagas have done in, in years past. Heck, even Butler back in the Brad Stevens days, like that obviously didn't get sustained like you thought it might have, but that was a team that made it to final four, you know, in, in a short period of time twice. Um, and it got really close to a, a championship game, I guess once or twice as well. Um, so I just think it's, more sustainable to me and more makes more sense for Tennessee to try to build that way than it does to try to follow the examples of um, what the, the Dukes and North Carolina's and Kentucky's and those types of schools have done and are currently doing still too on the recruiting trail. Tennessee gets left at the altar. Tennessee yeah. gets Tennessee ends up being the also ran a lot. I feel like they're like they've spent so much time trying to keep up with the elite of the elite, but that's not what made you who you were. You know, like very there's there's certain programs that will be great um, because of the program. Duke, Carolina, although occasionally you'll have the coach they had in like the late nineties, early two thousands, that was uh, Doherty, that was not that was would not be great. Um, you know, UCLA, even with their struggles, you, you typically expect them to be good. And we'll see what happens with Mick Cronin. I mean, he's obviously had him in the Final Four uh, during COVID. Um, like Tennessee doesn't have that. No, you know, mm-hmm. like. And you want to go back 25 years, you go from Kevin O'Neill, who struggled, Jerry Green, whose record looks better than actually the teams. The team, the, the records don't reflect how talented those teams say that. Buzz Peterson struggled. Bruce Pearl was great. Um, Conzo Martin, you know, mostly struggled, had the Sweet 16 run. So that kind of, you know, that kind of makes it, it kind of overshadows what was not a great era. Um, Donnie Tindall, we know how that ended. And Rick Barnes, who struggled for two years and then has built them to something. Um, what 57 wins in those two seasons, they were, you know, really, 
really highly regarded last year, you know, very close to the Elite Eight. Uh, no, no, uh, Sweet 16. Sweet 16. Very close to the Sweet 16. Um, but, like, there's no expectation of success because you walk into the Tennessee program. Like, exists. Like, it, it's contingent on the coach. You know, when Rick Barnes first got there, everybody, you know, was what, what was it? Retirement Rick was what I heard when I first got on <laughs> yeah. the beat. Um, yeah, when I first got on the Tennessee beat, like it was retirement Rick. And then all of a sudden Rick won 26 games in a season. And it's like, uh, oh, maybe. And then they won 31 games next season. And it's like, oh man, we're, we're elite. And then it, the, the recruiting, everybody's like, oh man, we're recruited at a five star level, even though most of these five star guys are in the twenties and thirties. I get it. Um, like there was a lot of feel good around the program, but a lot of this, it, I don't know if you, change anything i don't think you can um i just think that for the program building uh aspect of it then you look and you have to ask yourself was the year like the year maybe maybe it was covid but but was was there truly a benefit to bringing in springer and johnson knowing they were leaving after eight months um what and again, would would things have been different if COVID hadn't happened? I, I don't know. Um, I don't know how if the season goes different. Like, there were issues. Fulkerson got knocked out in the game. Yep. Get to play, didn't get to play in the NCAA tournament. Maybe there's a run, but that was a preseason with top ten team that didn't that got beat the first round and only won in one. Uh, didn't even win seventy percent of his games that year. I'm not gonna go win loss because last time I checked, I mean everybody played fewer games. Uh, I think they won like 18 and nine was their record or whatever the case yep. may be. You're exactly right. 18 and so, nine. Uh, so yeah, like I, I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm like, like it's an identity crisis. And I, I don't know if anybody knows what the end game is. And then of course, we're now talking about coach, uh, you know, about Rick Barnes, like coaching mortality. I'm as long as you're going to hang around. What's, what state is it going to be in when he take, you know, because I think going forward, whenever a change is made, like you've got to find, you know, the next coach or the next, the next set of assistant coaches that Tennessee brings in have to be so portal savvy and so, and, and have previous connections. Yep. You no, know, I don't know what happens with South Carolina this year, but Lamont Perry has got the number one player in the class. Reclassified. Yeah, yeah. How about how about your boy Lamont? That that was that was that that was just such a weird. I mean, no, it was because basically he's reclassifying and UNC didn't have a spot, but like that's still impressive. South Carolina of all teams got the number one player. It was gift wrap for him. I mean, that was always the plan was for the kid to go. Um, and it doesn't matter. Like that's Lamont's win. That's Lamont's game. And, you know, like, and that's a guy who is a really good recruiter. I always tell a story. Tyler Hero it was going to Wisconsin. Lamont Paris leaves Wisconsin to go to UTC. Uh, Hero decommits and ends up in Kentucky. And obviously we know the rest. I don't, and, you know, legend is um, that Hero was not decommitting as long as Paris was there. Um, it's just fine. It, it is what it is. Maybe it's just, 
hero saying yeah, who really cares at this point but like you, you've got to be portal savvy um and who knows i mean i think it's probably speculation that you know when whenever the break happens between the powers you know, the power 50 60 65 well 64 plus bandy um whenever we, when that group kind of breaks off you know, maybe they'll change the rules where you only can transfer once because you're not just going to keep passing players back and forth. Yeah. Transfer from school A to school B, you'll have to sit out of here. You transfer down, you can play. It's like football used to be. Um, you transfer from Alabama to Tennessee, you got to, you got to sit out of here. Transfer from Alabama to UTC, you can play immediately. And, I, and, and maybe that's what happens. Who knows? But I mean, everybody's just kind of passing players here and there. All the rules have changed, and and that's fine. But like I'm looking at a Tennessee program that yeah, there's a there's a lot to be excited about. Like for this season, you've got experience, uh, you've got size. You know, I, I kind of like the guard depth. Um, still some questions there, in my opinion. How good will the Phillips kid be? Where does the Phillips kid fit in? Because that was a kid who was probably going to LSU with the expectation to start. Uh, now the kids in Tennessee, where they seem to be okay um, at the positions that you would likely play. Maybe they move Olivier to the five and play small with Josiah and Phillips and Olivier, go with Vescovy and uh, Ziegler. Maybe that's what they do. Um, I don't know. I mean, guys like Basilio who've been probably – uh, a lot more connected than I am these days. We know a whole lot more about that than I. But I mean, I'm just kind of spitballing some different ideas. But you do have options, and you have you have the chance to have a very talented team this year. Now, after this year, uh, let's just be honest. Phillips is likely gone. Uh, the other two kids, the two se- the two junior slash seniors, Vescovy and James. You know, they technically have a year left, but how much, how long do you want to stay in college if you've already, if you've likely already graduated? Um, and you have like people who actually want you and beyond there, um, mm-hmm. beyond college. Um, we'll see about uh, Olivia. We don't know, but, um, uh, like questions exist and you can keep on, you can keep on just like plugging in holes and transfers. Um, take swings at top 20, top 30 prospects, maybe land on, maybe land the top 50. Maybe that works itself out for you. But at the end of the day, like I do think that the days of that, you know, like those feel good guys, those guys that make it to senior day. I think that those days, like, you know, well, let me rephrase that. Those guys that make it to senior day as a member of your program since day one. Yeah, right, right. You got guys that make it to senior day. They may they may start their career at UTC, play there two years, crush it there, and move up. Or they may go somewhere else and transfer to Tennessee. You know, you've got a kid like Justin Powell who, at that point, may end up in Tennessee for his fifth year, his fifth school, whatever. I don't know. Uh, maybe Washington State doesn't work out for him either, and he transfers again. Maybe he ends up in Tennessee. You know, like, but I just don't think the kids exist very much now. Where they go to a school, they're there for four or five years. And they keep it moving. They move on. Um, and very few schools have that. Kansas had it this year. And guess what? They won a national championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, Baylor kind of had that the year before. Kind of. Guess what? They won a championship. 
That Carolina team that lost in the championship game. That UCLA team was not a bunch of those guys. That Final Four team a few years back. Um, that Gonzaga team had, you know, was a mix. So it, it, it's more and more likely that you're going to have teams that are that look like Arkansas. And I'm always careful when I'm like when people are like, oh man, you know, Arkansas or Bama. Like first of all, Bama builds this thing from the bottom. Be clear. Like they're, I mean, they'll, they they'll go grab a couple of transfers, but and I haven't looked too much at their roster for this season. Maybe they've got nine transfers I don't know about. But they go out, they get, they recruit like the high school ranks pretty heavy, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of these schools do. And I don't know which Tennessee, what what Tennessee actually does. Maybe I guess they recruit. They take some swings in the summer. And then they try to convince some kids to, uh, to reclassify in the, in the spring and they bring in some transfers. I guess that's what their plan is. I guess that's what a lot of people's plan is. Yeah. I was going to say that, that to me, it just, it feels like basketball, especially is such a uniquely really, I guess, kind of bad situation when it comes to kind of an identity crisis because basketball, you, you have like, I mean, Phrase it this way. Football, you have 85 scholarship players. Like you said, you're going to have transfer and stuff out, but it's going to be a much smaller percentage and proportion of your roster because you have such a huge roster. You're going to have, like you said, more guys make it from start to finish as a, you know, to senior day there because you have such a, a huge roster that you get attached to more easier to more guys because there are more guys to root for. Even in baseball, like there's what, 30, 40? I don't, I actually don't know like the roster sizes usually for college baseball. There's still significantly more in college baseball and softball than there is in basketball, where you have 13 scholarship players on the men's side. Um, and that's it. Like it, it's, it's, if you lose two guys, that's a significantly larger, you know, percentage of your roster than losing three, four guys in football. Like it's just hard to, he's like you said, I think it's almost kind of, to me, it's going to be pretty commonplace for really rare for teams not to have teams to have just like one or two guys. Like, I think it's gonna be very commonplace for you to have to every single year, just about replace three, four, five, maybe even six guys year in, year out because of, you know, graduation, because of declaring early for the NBA draft and because of transfers. I, I just think we're at that spot now where it's not a red flag when you have six guys you have to replace or six open roster spots. It's a, Oh, that's just how things are now. Like six, five, six years ago, if Tennessee had to replace six guys, it's more than likely because some like a coaching change happened, or you know something happened to where guys are leaving and vacating because they're getting out of here. Now, past couple of years, Tennessee's had six, seven guys to replace, and it's not like a oh, what's Rick Barnes doing? It's a oh, this is just kind of the way things are now with the transfer portal. And I think it's been the case for a lot of schools. And again, some of it's different, like Kentucky having guys. You know, go to the NBA draft has, has been more because of that than transferring out. But still, like, I think it's becoming a lot more commonplace for schools to have to make, I wouldn't say wholesale changes, but have pretty significant roster, like, identity changes between each year moving forward because of how easy it is to transfer. And I think it's a lot more exacerbated in basketball because you have such smaller roster sizes in basketball than you do really any of the other major, you know, sports in college athletics. Yeah, and I, one thing that I've noticed is, you know, you only have 13 roster spots, but in basketball, one player can change everything. Yep. Like, you'll have a player that can completely just take over 
college basketball so many times now. Like you can, and look, I'll, I can spitball names going back forever. Like you know, Carolina, you know, where is Carolina? Brady Manning doesn't transfer. Um, the year before, the guard for Baylor that ended up with the Kings uh, that transferred from Auburn, um, Mitchell. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I can't remember who the there was no tournament in 20, so that's why I can't remember who the <laughs> team was. Um, 19 was Texas Tech losing to Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Virginia, that was a pretty much team. That was a team that was kind of – and pretty much since uh, COVID was when really things really changed as far as transfers were concerned. Because um, in years past, it's always just been your more experienced teams when in March. But yeah, the last two champions, or at, at least finalists. I mean, Kansas doesn't typically bring in transfers. I mean, he's gonna, you know, for all of his faults, he typically brings kids, kids in, and he, you know, develops those kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like I said, there's not a sport where one player changes. I mean, we can. It, it's you know, the superstar is the second most important position in all of sports, the basketball superstar, uh, right behind quarterback. And, you know, like, it, and it's, if you have one of those guys who can, who has the ability to take over a game, like the guard from Kansas that I think is most outstanding player of the final four, um, I, I, I'm just going to avoid, he's number 30. I'm just not going to try to pronounce his name. <laughs> You're it, talking about, yeah. It's just her OA. Those are, those are his initials. Um, but you have a guy like that that can be so dominant and, and so good. Um, you know, like even, even Duke, you know, like Duke had Ben Carroll. And part of the reason they didn't make it to the championship game was because he, your, your superstar kind of shrunk in the big moments. NBA, you're a Celtics guy. Where's Jason Tatum? Last time I saw him, he was hanging out with, uh, like the Warriors guys at the at that white party um, that the former uh, Sixers owner had. Yeah. Uh, or actually, no, he was at the he was at some movie show. I remember which one? Um, but yeah, I mean, like, so if you can, if you can get that guy, um, that's why I always argue. Like, I mean, I understand that there's everybody just loves point guards now, and um, but. If you have a kid who can play both a six five to six seven, whatever wing that can play multiple positions and be good on yeah, and be good on both sides of the court, those are the that's what wins you championships at every level. Every level. Like Steph Curry with the Warriors is the only example. You can go back we can go back as long as as long as ever. And especially at the highest level, you've got Giannis, you've got guys like that who are constantly, you know, LeBron, Kawhi, all those guys. Those are the guys who are winning you championships. Um, and, and you know, but Tennessee has at least one of those in Josiah, a kid who's can be really good on both ends. And if the Phillips kid is better than Josiah, being honest, if Phillips is better than Josiah, and Tennessee could be really really good yeah that's a that's a big if but you're right if you can make all of the you you everybody and look man like i i'm 
spend my life around guards. And I'm hanging around at basketball things and I'm talking to people and it's like point guards, point guards, guards, guards. And I'm just thinking the entire time, I'm like two-way wings, man. Two-way wings will win you championships. Two-way wings will win you championships. And so, and, the, and when you find, if you can, if one of those kids hits the free agent market, which is what I call a transfer portal, if one of those kids hits the market and you can get one of those kids, you got a chance. But you ha- and you have to go get those kids, which is why, like, I just do, I just think that recruiting is never going to be the same again because who do I want? Do I want the 70 year old kid who looks good or do I want a kid who's been in college for two years who was ranked just as high as that kid over there, but he's got two years of college experience and maybe wasn't developed by? If he's a head case, no, nah, I'm good. But if he's yeah, a questionable case, not a complete head case, mm, you can take a chance on that. And if if you get those kids, you always got a chance. So I don't know what the future is in Tennessee with recruiting and that stuff, but you're always going to have to leave a couple spots available because you never know when that sort of kid's going to hit the free agent mark. Maybe he was under-recruited coming out of high school and he had to go to like a Southern Conference school or West Coast Conference School, or whatever the case may be, or maybe he was highly regarded, didn't like his role, you know, one year, you know, maybe he was promising stuff that first year, he didn't get it, he leaves immediately. I mean, recruit, yeah, you you see a kid commit to a Kentucky or whatever, and you're like, yeah, we'll see where they are next year. Because maybe they go pro, maybe they hit the portal. I think to your point, Tennessee's probably pretty attractive to a, a kid like that next year in the transfer portal. But if again, if you're assuming you lose Julian Phillips, Josiah Jordan James, and Vescovy, you get a lot of minutes there to, for a, a kid who, you said, a super talented, you know, all, maybe all conference player at a smaller school, not too small, but like at, at a different school. Who again, you mentioned, has the same kind of build as a, a six five, six seven type of wing. I mean, Tennessee's, I think, going to be very appealing to a guy. Like, again, does that kind of guy hit the portal next year? Well, don't know, but Tennessee should be pretty appealing to a guy like that next year because if you're losing, you're losing your six six, you know, <laughs> uh, kind of guy in, in Josiah, then another one in um, in Phillips as well. But the kind of the, the thing I want to end the podcast on. Let me let me yeah, before, one more yeah, go ahead. We end it. No, no, I was just going to say this. You're one hundred percent right. If Phillips is better than Josiah this year. Because if Phillips is better than Josiah, then now you're talking about the elite sort of six eight wing that goes and can, you know that crushes it. Like Josiah is a really good player, but we've watched, we've seen the positives and negatives of his game. He's a good shooter, not a great finisher. He's a great defender. Mm-hmm. He's a role player. So if Josiah is exponentially better than the Phillips kid this year this coming season, then who knows? But if Phillips goes out there and he crushes it, and maybe he's a lottery pick or whatever, or just like an early first round pick, maybe 15 to 20, whatever, anywhere in that top 20 range. Now you're talking about it. Now you're talking, you make Tennessee that much more attractive because people have questions about can, what can the right now, what does a Julian Phillips look like in Tennessee? Those are, those are questions that do exist. And what does that look like there? Because they get guards, they get big. Guards always seem to do well. The bigs never seem to be happy. That's that's not me saying it. I mean, let's just look at the history over the past three, four years. Mm -hmm. Like, they've lost more bigs than um, 
you know, they lost what Bob Biggs. I'm just throwing out a number, but yeah, I mean, it feels about that way. DJ Jefferson or not G, DJ Burns, excuse me. Right. Um, upon the Hatfield. Right. Tramp, there, there's, there's been a couple other ones. Those are the first two Tomba. that pop in my head. Yeah. Tomba. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. And like, maybe it's just three, but how I many have they recruited in that time too? Right. <laughs> like, right. Right. So like, I mean, like you kept Euros mm-hmm. and that's, Basically, it, Pember. You can count Pember. Um, yeah, yeah, I count Pember. He's, he's six his, ten, uh, so yeah, I count him. Sure. Met his dad over a couple weeks ago. Really, really great guy. Uh, he coached uh, coached my son's AAU team, ironically. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you're talking about, um, like that's kind of the knock. Like people don't have enough evidence. They don't have enough information to make a determination on. What Tennessee does with wings, if they highly regarded wings. Suddenly Hatfield was a top what, 25 player when he reclassified. Um, mm-hmm. that didn't work out great. It's decent, not great. Um, the guards have done well. Every guard has done well. That's come in as a one and that's come, that's come in and been a one and done. Uh, they have their highs and lows. They're 18 year old freshmen. I wouldn't expect anything else. Um, but Keon Johnson, Jaden Springer, and Kennedy Chandler, they all had, for the most part, they were worth the investment. And, but you don't have any information on what a Julian Phillips can do in this system at this school. Um, and that's yet to be determined. But if he goes out there and he puts up nice numbers, has some real highlight moments, because it's not about averaging 20 points a game. It's Kenny average like 11 points a game maybe four or five rebounds, a couple of assists, you know, shoot some nice percentages from the field and show promise. Um, he does those things. He's going to be, A, he's going to be a lottery pick. All what it is. He's already kind of projected to be, uh, I mean, just off of like recruiting rankings, he's already projected to be a top 20 pick in the draft. Um, you know, if he crushes it, then all of a sudden you're going to see kids from like Loyola Chicago's of the world you know, hitting the portal. Um, you'll see a Big East kid hit the portal, and you'll see Tennessee in there. And, you know, if you're Tennessee's coaching staff, which, you know, hopefully doesn't have any turnover after this coming season, then they can sit there and say, well, look at what we did with Phillips. And that's an opportunity to present. That's an opportunity which, to your point, makes Tennessee that much more appealing because they're likely losing one kid at that position. Yeah, that was a really good caveat by you in terms of <clears throat> what what would actually you know why Tennessee would be or wouldn't be appealing to that type of kid for next year? I, I want to end on this. We we didn't get a chance to talk about any of the schedule stuff. That's fine because we had a to me I think a really good discussion about recruiting for the whole hour of the show here. But something that I always think is a really kind of sobering stat that you know I I hate bringing up because it you know makes you feel bad. But it to me it's it to me it kind of brings you back down to earth a little bit when you're a Tennessee fan thinking. Tennessee should be in these types of battles, should be landing these types of guys. And it's it's fine to want more. It's fine to expect big things from the school or the team you root for in any sport. That's fine. I'm not saying lower your expectation that you have to. I just think, to me, this is a stat that I kind of, in the as always kind of in the back of my head, personally, when I'm thinking of expectations for Tennessee when it comes to recruiting and it comes to, as a program in general. I mean, this is, this is a list of, teams that have had the most NCAA tournament appearances without reaching a final four. 
BYU is number one with 30. They've made 30 NCAA turn appearances and they're made a final four. Both Xavier and Minnesota, or excuse me, Xavier and Missouri are tied uh, behind BYU with 28 appearances each without a final four. And then the number four spot is Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee has been to the NCAA tournament 24 times, 24 times, no final fours and only one elite eight in program history. Right behind them is Creighton at 23. And then at 22, you have Alabama and Utah state. Um, so that's just kind of the, like, those are not elite teams. I mean, Creighton's had some pretty good teams in the years past Alabama. Again, they've had some pretty good teams recently, but they've, they were garbage in basketball for a long time. BYU's had some pretty decent teams, but again, nothing to really write home about. Xavier has been a really good A-10 program. I've had some really good teams, some really good sweet 16 teams over the last 10, 15 years. But again, no Final Four. Missouri has had some really good teams in, in the years past, too. No Final Four. Tennessee is right up there with those programs. And Tennessee is recruiting better than any of those programs currently, except for, you could argue, Alabama right now, obviously. But I just think, Gene, to me, that's and until that changes, until Tennessee gets off that list like Auburn did um, a couple years ago because they were on that list, too, in terms of uh, I think they had like close to 20 NCAA tur- tournament appearances that make in Final Four. Until Tennessee can do that, and get their name off this list of, of most tournament appearances without our final four. It's hard for me to set the recruiting expectations or transfer portal expectations too high. Like again, I I'm all for expecting better, expecting, you know, great things from Tennessee basketball, from Tennessee football, from, from anything. But Tennessee football and Lady Balls basketball, they have a history of winning titles, of competing at the highest possible level you can compete at in their respective sport. Tennessee men's basketball doesn't. One Elite Eight appearance, and they're fourth currently in, I guess technically all time, but fourth in NCAA tournament appearances without ever reaching a single Final Four. Like, there are so many schools. George Mason, for example. Florida Gulf Coast, I think. Maybe not, but George Mason uh, is one one that comes to mind. Yeah, like, those teams have Final Four appearances. Tennessee doesn't. That also leads to, you know, discussion about how much of a crapshoot the NCAA tournament is, but... It also, I mean, 24 times, Gene, and zero Final Four appearances. Like, that's that's not a it's not a good tracker. It, it also speaks to, you know, people always want to rag on Ray Barnes. I think, again, he definitely deserves criticism for things that have happened with him in March. But it's also, man, like, it's not just Ray Barnes. Tennessee as a program has had, I mean, just awful luck and also just bad performances in March. Just year in and year out, it feels like. So... I again just kind of wanted to close on that. I know it's a little bit of a downer of a note, but to me, just kind of that's always a thing I go back to to kind of reset my, I guess, uh, perception of the Tennessee men's basketball program as good as the last five years have been, especially. But really, you look at the last 15, 20 years, even Tennessee has as many Sweet 16 appearances as a lot of really high profile programs. But Sweet 16 is great. But one Elite Eight and zero Final Fours in that same period where a lot of those same schools that you've, you've beaten out in terms of number of Sweet 16 appearances or, or right on par with, they have multiple Elite Eight appearances. They have maybe even multiple Final Four, maybe even multiple national championships. And Tennessee just has, you know, the Sweet 16s and one Elite Eight they can kind of hang on. Uh, finally won a, an SEC tournament for the first time in, in 40-something years. But even that, like, that was the first time in 40-something years. So it's just... I. There's been a lot of recent success. I saw in the Vol Nation message board someone tried to compare Tennessee basketball to what Kentucky football is, and I don't think that's a, a, an apt comparison. But they're talking about comparing, you know, Kentucky basketball and Tennessee football. Like they're trying to make comparisons between those two schools specifically. So I get where they're coming from. 
Um, I think it's a little different because Tennessee basketball, men's basketball has had more historical success than Kentucky football has um, just in their respective sports. But I still think the overall point I understood where they're coming from was that Tennessee, they've had the success in the last five, 10 years, but they have a lot of not so great history. And I know kids, like most kids, like they're 15, 16, 17, they don't care a ton about what happened in the nineties and early two thousands. But I mean, that's still like their parents know. And I mean, it's just, it's hard to escape your past when your past is, has, has, has the, the uh, Wade Houston era or the Kevin O'Neill era or the Buzz Peterson era. Like it's hard to escape your past when that's not too, like too far in the past. That's not like, that's like the, the fifties, sixties and seventies. Like that's, that's, that's when I was alive. That's when that's barely 30 years ago for some of those things, barely 20 years ago for some of those things. So I just, to me, that's just always a sobering stat that Tennessee is fourth on the list of most NCAA tournament appearances without ever getting to a final four. That's, that's not a list you want to be in a top five in. It's a list. You, it's a place you can change. You all you do is get the one easier said than done though. Uh, but to me, that's kind of always what I go back to when I think of where Tennessee is historically and kind of where I, my expectations for them is until that changes, it's hard for me to put too high of expectations on their program. I mean, again, I, I will always say it. I'm never going to fault someone for expecting more. I will fault you if you think Tennessee should be like, you know, 35 and two and winning, you know, competing for titles every year. But I don't, I, I just, to me, it's hard to, there's a, there's a ceiling on my expectations for Tennessee men's basketball. And until they can break through that ceiling, um, that's where my expectations are going to have to stay for the program. Yeah. Um, I wish I had anything to add to that, but it's as simple as you got to win. Um, this, this is a conversation that it's like talking about the, fre- the, the freshman that looks good in practice and everybody's like, well, can he do it on game day? Well, let's wait till games actually start. We can answer that question. Uh, we're not going to be able to kind of do anything about um, that stat until you get into March and you see how the brackets lay themselves out and you see how the team performs in the games. Because, I mean, you know, you just look at the, the most recent game. Uh, the Michigan game was a game that, you know, I was traveling, I think, back from Pittsburgh that day, so I didn't see it. But I did hear it. I was listening to it on Sirius XM. Um, and, like, it wasn't like they were – it wasn't like they just got embarrassed. It's not like Tennessee got embarrassed by Michigan. Yeah. Play here, play there, a couple minutes here, a couple minutes there, and that was the difference in the game. Um, they didn't lose that game because of their history. They lost that game because Michigan was just ultimately a better team. Uh, and they and Tennessee got a very unfortunate draw to draw a team that had underachieved uh, at one point in the season and um, – Hit its stride at the right time, uh, like so. Like I, I, I just think that it's there's not a lot that we can do about it. But to your point, I think that'll always affect the perception of this is program. And you know, like I, I think two things that are working against in the scene recruiting right now is back history and uh, Rick Barnes coaching mortality. I just think that both of those things collectively, because, you know, people are just using against him. Well, how much longer does he really have? Yeah. What does he have? Like a, another two years left on his contract? Or, no, I think he just signed that. Yeah, he got an extension. He's got, he's got yeah. like four or five years now. 
Right. So when he finished that contract, like they're going to use whatever they can, mm-hmm. fair or foul. Um, and, but I, I think that Tennessee's history, there's like, well, yeah, you know, they're getting some players, but what are they doing with second round NCAA tournament, first round NCAA tournament, maybe a sweet 16 here and there. But I mean, uh, what 33% of the time they've made the NCAA tournament, they've made it to the sweet 16 in their history. Um, yeah, I think I think I remember looking up with you on the podcast before where they've made it to Sweet 16 as many times as they've been bounced uh, in the first round. Like they've they've been one and done in the tournament as many times as they've made it to the Sweet 16. So like it's it's almost like a, I wouldn't say a boomer bust because again I wouldn't say Sweet 16 is boom, but it's either you're making it to the second weekend or you're gone for like it's it's not a whole lot of in between for Tennessee um, in the NCAA tournament over the, over the years at least. Right. I'm sorry, I just typed in how many. Uh, Kentucky's been to almost 60 NCAA tournament uh, tournaments and they've made the Sweet 16 45. Wow. Uh, so forget, I mean, even if you want to say that like the numbers worked out in their advantage earlier on when the, when the field was smaller, which is 1000% true, um, 75% of the time they've made, <laughs> they make the NCAA tournament, they've made the Sweet 16. I, I believe like Calipari, even for all of his, issues what whatnot. I believe um he's only been beaten in the first weekend uh like twice in his time. Um I think you're right. Was sometimes that was even with like that one year that they had the um oh god the one year uh that they were like an eight seed and they had to beat Wichita State who was a one um in the second round. Like they, uh, I mean, in their history, like they've even called apart for all of his issues. I mean, he got beat in 2016 in the second <laughs> round and he got beat last yeah. year in the first round. Yeah. Now I get it. You know, he didn't make it in 2021 and he didn't make it in the 12 13 season. Um, but that dude, you know, no matter the seed gets to the second round, second weekend. Um, and so like some of that is luck. I get it. Um, but I mean, like eventually like Tennessee just has to keep taking swings and eventually, I mean, they're going to connect mm-hmm. and they're going to make that elite eight again. And they're going to make that final four. Again. Um, because I mean, it's not like UCLA was one of the best teams in the country two years ago. Nobody ever thought of them as such. Um, you know, Carolina wasn't even a team that people thought about as the potential Final Four um, last year until they were. Like, every single year, this team, you're not like, oh, well, of course it's those four teams. There's always a team that you're kind of just like, well, they just got hot at the right time. You know, even VCU and George Mason, when they made their runs, Loyola Chicago, they got hot at the right time. Like St. Peter's made what the Elite Eight last year. <laughs> uh, they at least the Sweet Sixteen. I can't remember if they made the Elite Eight or not. But at least Sweet Sixteen, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it's like, okay, well, you know, um, yeah, they won three games last year, so they wow. made the Elite Eight. <laughs> they got beat by Carolina in the Elite Eight. They beat Kentucky, Murray State, and Purdue. So, yep. okay. Um, <laughs> so it's like, you know, it. It's eventually going to work itself out. I don't know. I can't guarantee it's going to be this year. It's going to work itself out. 
it's a it's a staff that nobody wants to hear, nobody wants to think about, but it's eventually going to you know, work itself out. I don't know how, I don't know the details. I just think that if you consistently do things the right way, eventually they're going to work out in your favor. And um, I don't know what it's going to take, but I just know that um, Rick Barnes has, has done things the right way during his tenure in Knoxville. And uh, so that makes him believe that things like that work themselves out whenever you do. Um, so we'll see. Uh, maybe it's during the, at some point during the next five or six years when, with this contract. Um, you certainly hope so because he's been successful enough and will hang around long enough. I think we've, we've done the show about how he's like the what third longest senior coach in the history or fourth or something like that. Yep. Mm-hmm. We've done that show. Um, and like, so it, it's eventually going to work itself out. I don't know the details. I don't know how. I just believe that that will be the guy, the guy who's had, who had one minor misstep, who what was, wasn't really a misstep in my mind, the whole UCLA thing. Mm-hmm. And that's the only blemish on his resume in Knoxville. Um, he, to me, that's the guy that gets Tennessee over the because he's done too many things the right way to not have the success to show. The was- postseason success. Yeah, I was going to bring up a point, but I kind of want to, I'm going to, we've already talked for almost an hour and a half. Uh, I'm going to save it for next week's episode, Gene, because I think it's a, a good one to talk about. But it, I was thinking about kind of the, I guess kind of the, the new wave of basketball fandom for Tennessee was, you know, obviously started with the Bruce Pearl era. And that kind of, I think to me, set the expectations a lot differently for people around, you know, kind of your my age, like in the, in their thirties and, you know, early forties than our you know, my parents, for example, or even people who are just slightly older, like I think obviously younger than me too. And like in the twenties currently, I think that era kind of made expectations a lot different for a totally different generation, new generation of ball basketball fans that either didn't care or were actually fans of other programs like UNC and Duke and things like that. Cause we're, you know, Tennessee football fans, but Tennessee men's basketball was garbage for a long time. And they were, you know, probably as younger kids and stuff or, you know, teenagers or whatever, rooting for other other programs. And then Bruce Pro comes along and steals a lot of fans away and from those other programs or, you know, converts the Tennessee football fan into also a Tennessee basketball fan. So I think that I want to save that for next week because I think that's worth a conversation of having of I think that the Bruce Pro era was kind of the a, a demarcation point for Tennessee generational basketball fans in terms of you can kind of tell who's an, a newer fan to me and who is an older fan um, almost by their expectations. Not, not always, but almost by the expectations they have for the program. And a lot of it has to do with Bruce Pearl. So I think that's kind of, I, I, to me, I, I want to talk about that next week because there's a lot I want to unpack and we've already talked for a long time here. So Gene, it's been great having you on. I, that's, I knew this was going to happen because it's first time you've been on in a while and you were going to talk a long time. So hopefully our listeners enjoy the hour and a half uh, episode here. But uh, again, I know it's basketball off season, but we had a lot to talk about um, it's football time right now, but hopefully there's still plenty of basketball junkies out there who will um, get some enjoyment out of this episode. But again, Gene, thanks for coming on, man. It's great having back on here. Thanks for all of you listeners, watchers, wherever you're again, whether it's YouTube or Apple podcast or Spotify, however you're listening to the show, we 
greatly appreciate it. And thank you all so much for it. If you like this one, you know, please leave a comment down below on the video or add us on Twitter at Vol Hoops Fever. At me on Twitter at Mr. Underscore Rutherford if you want to as well. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on anything and everything we talked about here on the show. Signing off for Gene, I am Nathaniel, and this has been another episode of Vol Basketball Fever. Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss a new episode. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for more video content and follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Thank you, Vol fans.